Welcome to The Bike Show with me, Jack Thurston. Now, as I'm here talking to you, I'm riding along a beautiful lane in the Welsh countryside. Nothing unusual about that, you might say. This is exactly the kind of thing you've come to expect on The Bike Show. Except that this lane is a very steep hill. There's a sign at the bottom that warns that the gradient is one in six. Well, I'm riding up it, and as you can hear, I'm not the slightest bit out of breath. Have I been in training, I hear you ask? Are you on drugs? Well, not today, I'm afraid. The reason I'm able to breeze up this one in six hill is because the bike I'm riding is electric. You'll be pleased to hear that I made it all the way up the hill without so much as breaking sweat. An e-bike, or a pedelec, is a normal-looking bicycle that's fitted with an electric motor powered by a battery that can supply up to 250 watts of power. 250 watts is the legal limit in the European Union. It's not a mechanical limit. You can have a more powerful e-bike, but it would be classified as a moped, not an electric bicycle, at least in the EU. But what does 250 watts of power actually mean? Well, 250 watts, it's about the same as the average power of a professional bike racer during a tough stage of the Tour de France. So not to be sniffed at, you could think of it as a little bit like riding a tandem with one of the world's top bike racers turning the pedals for you. It's powered travel, nothing new in that, but, and this is where it gets interesting as far as I'm concerned, Without all the hassles of tax and insurance, helmets and driving tests, there's no noise and there's no exhaust. It has all the pleasure of cycling, but it's cycling for people who who don't want to get in a sweat. The biggest market for e-bikes by far is in China, where most of them are made, and 27 million were sold last year. Nearly three quarters of a million were sold in the EU. Among European countries, it's the Netherlands that streets ahead. One in five new bikes sold in that country is electric. And interestingly, 80% of them are bought by people who are over 50, which gives you an idea of who finds these kinds of bikes appealing. In Germany, there are said to be 1.6 million e-bikes on the roads. So, are e-bikes the future of cycling? Or just a passing fad? Today on The Bike Show... We'll be hearing from a pair of product testers and we'll also be hearing from an Austrian company that makes and sells off-road e-bikes. But first, I'd like you to think about the last time you had a near miss on a bicycle. Not a crash, but an almost crash. One of those moments, I think we all have them, where you feared that you were about to have a crash. Maybe you had to take avoiding action or you just got lucky. 
It's not nice, but sooner or later, it happens to all of us. It's an awful feeling, a near miss. It's that mixture of fear and adrenaline that quickly morphs into a strange combination of anger and resentment. And maybe, if we ourselves are a little bit to blame for what happened, a feeling of embarrassment and shame. I find that some near misses leave me feeling really quite shaky and I have a sort of lingering sense of my own fragility and vulnerability and I even sometimes question why I'm riding my bike. Well, the government collects very good statistics about deaths and serious injuries on the road but there's little about minor crashes and even less about near misses. This is something that Dr Rachel Aldred of the University of Westminster is hoping to put right. I spoke to Dr Aldred on a busy street corner in London and I asked her why it was she was studying near misses. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, you can look at places where there's a lot of near misses and you can see what that is to do with potentially the road environment, to do with enforcement issues. So what do we need to do to stop these near misses becoming something more serious? And that's how they approach things, for example, in the aviation industry. A near miss is seen as a potential warning of a future injury um, incident. The second reason is around subjective safety. So people may not be injured, they may not be killed, but they're nevertheless experiencing things that are putting them off cycling. You know, cycling should be an enjoyable, fun experience. And if you're having these near-miss type incidents, then it isn't. And do you think it's an under-researched subject? Yeah, there's been very little on this. I mean, there's a relatively large amount of research done on deaths and serious injuries, and the statistics are reasonably good on deaths and serious injuries, but we don't even really know how often near-misses happen. We don't know much about what types of near-misses happen, who experiences them, and so on. And I think we're really missing a trick in terms of making cycling safer, but also making it more enjoyable. So the first phase of the project in terms of data gathering has already been completed. Um, You were asking people to fill out an online travel diary where they would record what had happened to them, right? Yeah, exactly. We had basically, it's called a one-day diary, and people would sign up in advance for a day um, to avoid bias. So they, you know, people would re- would report their cycle trips and incidents, whether they had incidents or not. And it was quite a detailed diary, so people would give us a lot of information, both qualitative and quantitative. And we were really uh, impressed by the response. My target was 1,000, and I thought that was quite ambitious, and we got around 1,900 in the end. So we've got an enormous amount of data, and I really hope that we'll be able to make a difference in terms of finding out more about how often they happen, what kinds of incidents they they are, what we can do to prevent them, but also things like what they feel like, you know, the emotional impact, because I think that is also really important. Where do you think this might help in terms of um, informing policy decisions, in terms of, well, we almost had a near miss with a with a 106 bus there. <laughs> do you want to step, uh, step away from the curb a little bit? What kind of difference do you think it might make? What kind of insights might you have to give to to, to the people who make the decisions about you know what kind of roads we have to ride on well i hope very much that we can make some uh, suggestions in terms of planning and infrastructure that you know we can say for example this kind of road design is going to lead to um you know disproportionate number of these kinds of incidents hopefully in terms of things like enforcement as well we can suggest where there are recurring issues where there needs to be better enforcement of driver behavior for example and we're also we're in touch with planners we're in touch with driver training organizations so hopefully these findings won't just be reported in academic journals they're also going to be put into policy and practice so hopefully they'll make a real difference to people's lives. That was Dr Rachel Aldred of the University of Westminster. And the first phase of her research project, a large-scale online questionnaire, you may have seen it, is now done. 
And we'll be hearing more about the results of that on The Bike Show early next year. But there's another part of the research that I'm hoping you and other listeners to The Bike Show will help with. It's about your story of your near miss, a near miss that you've experienced in your own words. What I'd like to do is collect as many audio accounts of near misses. They don't have to be immediately after you've had a near miss. It could be recalling one that you've had some time ago, as long as it's fresh and vivid in your mind. And I want you to answer three simple questions. First, I want you to describe what happened. Second, I want you to tell me how it made you feel. And third, I want you to talk about any lasting consequences that there may have been. There are a few ways that you can make a good quality audio recording and send it in. The first is by using the recorder widget on the Near Miss Project website. You'll also find it on the Bike Show website, www.thebikeshow.net. Just hit record and speak into your computer's microphone. It's a bit like leaving an answer machine message. The second way is by using the free Audio Boom app for smartphones. You have to download the app and register. And then once you're in the app, you record your account. And when you save it, make sure you save it with the tag Near Miss. Finally, you could use a dictaphone or the voice recorder on your mobile phone and send us the recording by email. Send them to bikeshow at resonancefm.com. Personal accounts of near misses will add a new dimension to the research project and I think that they'll present a powerful picture of what a near miss feels like to those involved. And we hope to play some of them on the show in the new year. So those three questions again. What happened? How did it make you feel? And were there any lasting consequences? So the next time you experience a near miss, or if you can remember one you've already had, please do record your account and send them in to us. It's an important part of an important study. Now, back to the electrifying subject of electric bikes. To find out how an e-bike compared to a normal bike, I arranged for Dr Mark Miodovnik, Professor of Materials and Society, you may have seen him on the telly, to test one out for a week on his daily commute to and from University College London. I met up with him afterwards to find out how he'd got on. Yeah, I took a Mercedes Smart e-bike out for a week around London. I live in London, I work in London, so that was that was the task. Like Usually I cycle to work back and forth on a Moulton, uh, or sometimes on a Boris bike, so depending on whether I'm going either one-way journeys or back and forth. And for a week I had this e-bike. Should we describe it? What does it look like? It doesn't look like a traditional bicycle, because I think it's, it's supposedly more advanced in lots of different ways although the, the way that we're most interested in is the is the is the powering but it, it's a sort of it is a bike of the future from the looks of things yeah i mean it's very very it's a very beautiful object uh stylized it's a bit like a, a very smart version of a boris bike it's kind of got a quite a bulky aluminium frame but it's it's had a lot of thought put into every aspect of its styling the whole thing is very coherent and feels like it's come slightly from the future not too far in the future um the whole bike is pretty standard size i mean it, it's heavy i have to say that it's it's a heavy bike if anyone who's who's driven a um a kind of one of these city bikes these boris bikes knows exactly what i mean i mean these are these are very sturdy objects but they are not something you're going to feel like you're 
flying through the streets with you know the wind in your hair when you're pedaling them that feels a bit like you're on an exercise bike the weight is heavier because of the battery and the motor it's got um, a drivetrain so the whole thing is in gear the whole time so essentially you are you're you're you're, you're sort of linked into the whole motor system even when the motor's not on um so you're pedaling along it feels a bit sluggish you press a button and my god it's like a horse underneath you suddenly you jolt forward and you really feel like you've got some power underneath the seat and that's a tremendously attractive feature of this i mean there are a few small hills on the way to work which i usually kind of have to get off the seat to to go up because my molten's gears are a bit bust at the moment so there's only one gear and i and and with the e-bike i was just button sitting down up i go flying past people (laughs) and that was that was just really that was a thrill and it felt like wow i mean there was no effort at all going up a hill at all and anyone who doesn't ride a bike to work or back or for leisure because basically they find the effort too onerous this is definitely for them because it really is effortless and did you have to charge it up all the time or did one charge keep you going for the whole week actually it was one charge for the whole week no problem back and forth but it's i'm not it's not that far to work for me it's about three miles I live on the fourth floor of a block of flats. So there was no sense in which I would ever be able to bring it upstairs. It's, it's a bit too heavy for that and, and unwieldy, and I don't have room in, in the flat. But you can just attach the battery and bring that up, and there's a charger. I didn't do that, but you could. Um, and for those people who luxuriate in lots of space and have garages, <laughs> I'm sure you could just wheel it in and plug it in, and that would, that would work well too. It does feel more like a sort of a scooter, like a motorised scooter, than it does a bicycle in that sense that it's it's quite bulky it's it's a big piece of kit it's sturdy but at the same time that's that's also a nice feeling you know you've got power you don't have to you don't really don't have to work at all you can you can arrive to work with a suit or any kind of smart dress you will not have a drop of sweat on you even on a hot day like today and so did you find you were getting there faster or just in a more relaxed way because you had a had this uh, this uh, helping hand yeah, I don't think you get anywhere faster in London. <laughs> um, you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're, 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 you're weaving through the traffic. And I wasn't doing that. I was just riding normally, but I just, it was just easy. It was just there and back. And I, I have to admit, when I went back to the Moulton, I did miss that button because there are moments in your life where you, you know, that moment when you're feeling a bit ill and you think, oh man, am I too ill to go to work? No, I'm not too ill to go to work. And then you get on your bike and you think, hold on, maybe I was. Maybe I should go back. And you carry on. That's the moment when you want this bike as well because. You know, it just would carry you there without any effort. And we've all been in that situation, especially in the winter, where you want to get to work, you don't want to go in the tube, you don't want to go on the train, all the bus, they're all packed and uncomfortable and awful, basically. And this, this bike would be a trusty friend. Any downsides apart from the weight? And did you sort of sense that there was maybe not quite the same joy of cycling on, on this bike compared to a, a, a pedal-only bike? Yeah, I mean, you don't get that feeling of as a thrill of just putting a small amount of effort into a, into a, into a let's say a, pro- a proper bike and and you, sh- you 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 shoot along and and you know that is amazing it's an amazing feeling because you're putting as as much effort as someone walking along the street is and, and actually you're you're you know you're just flying along and that I, that's often the best part of my day so i sort of did miss that i felt like if i'm going to have one of these bikes i want to have luggage you know, I want, I want to be able to put stuff. I want to take advantage of the fact that i got power and I can take more stuff. And it just wasn't that a stand. I'm sure you could add it to it. But so I it didn't like, have racks and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and I, I sort of wanted a, I wanted a kind of clever sort of... I wanted it to be more like a motorcycle in that sense. Um, and then there was a, there's a gadget at the front which controls the electrics uh, when you turn it on, which is detachable. And I guess 
I guess you could put your smartphone in there and that would make more sense and have an app but it didn't have maps and things I sort of felt like if I'm going to have to have this thing I have to look at the screen I want it to be very functional and it, it wasn't functional enough for me it just it didn't really take me into the future where it was sort of suggesting detours because there was less pollution down that road or it had already seen that some road had been blocked I, I, I felt like if I was going to have an electric bike and I was going to have the advantage of having, being able to plug in some device I wanted it to really change the way I biked through a city and it, it wasn't doing that for me yeah the other thing is the lock so so I didn't really it's quite a bulky thing I didn't really want to sort of be chaining it which I ended up having to do when I was out in the evening sometimes to to railings which and it's quite hard to do and I was also really worried about it from a security point of view I mean that, that thing where you walk away from a lock and then about 50 yards up the road you kind of go back and just sort of check it again <laughs> you know that feeling um I was doing that quite a lot I'm sure I hadn't got used to it probably but I, I felt like I want this thing to be sort of to lock itself it's got power I want it almost to sort of a little lock to come out and for it to snake round a thing and you know that that's those things would make me really much more I mean amazed about this and I would feel like we'd gone into a different category of of bike this was this is a bike which is an electric bike you know it has more weight because you've got the electric stuff the upsides of that are, 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 are you know but there are also quite a few downsides and for me, it was sort of 50-50. I wouldn't really want to have one. I mean, I, I didn't feel the loss in the end. So some people are down on e-bikes because they think, well, this is just a nuclear-powered bike or a coal-powered bike. How much power does it take to uh, to give the power assist to this, um, to this bike? I mean, it must be a fraction of what it takes to drive a car, that kind of thing. And so in terms of carbon emissions... You know, we're talking about quite small amounts, aren't we? Or, 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 is it, or is it deceptive? You know, these, these are great big batteries, but they don't take an awful lot of power to charge up, do they? I'm not looking at the stats now, but I think it's a 200-watt bike. If you think about an incandescent light bulb, is you know, 60 to 100 watts. It's two of those. Is that extravagant? Depends where you get the energy from, I suppose. Depends if you're on an island, you know, where all of your energy comes from solar. Then that's actually a lot of energy. It would take you a long time to, to gather that much. But if you're if you're somewhere where there's plentiful wind or coal, which you know gas, oil is what you know nuclear. I guess if you're in France, where there's 75 percent of the electricity is nuclear, I guess you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel guilty at all, and it wouldn't it would be a tiny fraction of what that country produces. Um, Germany, likewise. So I, I wouldn't look at it that way as some sort of some sort of um, modern luxury that's just consuming more power. I think I think the people who are going to use e-bikes, you're taking them off another mode of transport, which is making them miserable, either their car or a crowded bus or a tube train. And I think that's a good thing. I think these re- these really will fit a niche. And having more people on two wheels on on streets is just a good thing, if you ask me. And also, I really feel like the elderly are going to be more mobile. This is this is a this is a mobility device for for people who are perhaps intimidated about going two miles down to the shops which doesn't feel like a mobility device it would just feel like being on a snazzy bike and if your if your auntie or your uncle or your granddad was out and about for another 10 years of their life going independently going shopping as a result of one of these things that would to me that feels like a real step forward so you've observed and and written about technology and how technology comes along in its sort of early clunking form and then gets refined and refined and refined and improved and at the end of that process it's quite a different thing from what was started off with i mean a case in point in cycling is is lighting in in the early days they had candles 
in, in lights, um, great big bulky brass objects. You can see them in, in museums. And then, but even recent, even well, within my memory, um, in the 1980s, bike lights were really big and bulky, great big lead acid batteries, pathetic light. And now you've got these amazing LEDs with tiny little batteries producing enormous amounts of light. Where do you think we are in that progression? in terms of motors and batteries for, for powering, uh, powering vehicles? I think battery technology has been pushed forward really by the revolution in, in smartphones. People have wanted a smartphone to last the whole day or to last two days and because of that it's really pushed the battery manufacturers. Other things have benefited from, from that, so that's billions of pounds going to battery research. And so what, what you get in an e-bike or, or actually in a prosthetic limb, which has also been revolutionised by, by, by smaller, more powerful batteries, is suddenly a leap forward in those technologies. And you, I think this e-bike is an example of that. That you know, I went for a whole week never having to recharge this thing. I, whenever I wanted power, I pressed it. I didn't feel in any way inhibited to do so. So this is great. And as you say before, I mean, actually, this has integrated lights, it has integrated electronics. It's all being run off the same battery. It's totally reliable. So that's all great. And motors have got much more powerful as well, and you see that. Um, nevertheless, you know, here we are. You know, we really are at the epitome of how all that technology has really been pushed forward, and it's still heavy bike. It's still a really heavy bike. <laughs> so I feel like mm. you don't think there's further for that technology to go. You talked about mobile phones, but the way I'd thought about it, it would be electric cars that would be pushing forward battery technology in the, in the sort of realm of a, of a higher powered battery there isn't enough volume of electric cars being sold for that to be a major that to be a major area of research and and unfortunately the other thing is that lithium so lithium is obviously an iron you can it's a very light atoms and yet you get you know high charge density off it so if you if you want to if you want to improve batteries by going to an even lighter element than lithium what would you choose well the only lighter elements are helium uh, yeah helium and hydrogen now helium is a inert gas it's not at all suitable for any kind of electrochemical reactions which is what a battery is it's a chemical reaction which you can reverse by electric field and hydrogen well hydrogen is is a possibility but it's a gas and in fact, that's what fuel cell technology is all about, is turning a reaction with hydrogen into, electric, um, into an electric current. And uh, I can't imagine people putting you know, hydrogen fuel into a car or, or into an electric vehicle in a mainstream way for a while. I mean, I know they exist, but so, so we're really at the edge. Like, there's nothing else to go. I, either fuel cell technology has got to really push ahead, and it, there are lots of... Re- reasons why it's not or lithium has to get even lighter and it's not going to get lighter what about the motors can they get more efficient uh yes they can um but you what happens when you try and reduce the, the weight of a motor is either you reduce its lifespan which again is is you know one of the nice things about this e-bike is it's very robustly built the drivetrain it doesn't need much maintenance um you know the question is how long will it last or you have to pay a lot of more money, and this this e bag is already very expensive. I mean, not very expensive, but it's you know what two and a half thousand quid. So, um, I feel like yes, it could, but we're we're talking about incremental changes. I think we've what these e these e bikes are they they are kind of an epitome of putting lots of different technologies together, and this is what you get. The the, the best and and the most likely step forward for weight, if you ask me, is the frame going to fully carbon fiber frame. And you think, well, that's going to be really expensive. But actually, there is real hope on that front that that might be automated. And if you can automate make the making of carbon fiber frames, then you would reduce the cost by an enormous amount. And that's why I would pin my hopes on, which is that the, the frame 
and the wheels will reduce in weight, not necessarily probably the battery or the motors. I guess the other thing that might improve is the cost, that more of these things get made, they tool up, it's not cutting-edge technology anymore, it becomes not something for the early adopters, it becomes something that's just normal, like a normal bike. Oh, it's, an, it's a bike with a battery and a motor, it's just normal, and it's three or four hundred pounds. Yeah, I think, you know, w- with the rise of the Boris bike schemes hopefully being rolled out to you know across the uk it's already in many countries i would see those bikes as the perfect way in which to introduce this technology lots of people who get those bikes they're heavy anyway right and and they're docked so they can be recharged and people would then be introduced to e-bikes the light of them you know by just trying them out for a day and i think that that seems to me a really good way of making this technology available to all and to people see it and if you're let's say a tourist in a new city and you think oh, i'll take a bike out for a day having an e-bike and being able to get right out to the outskirts and seeing that amazing museum of modern art if it, you know or science um would be really attractive to me so i think I, that's what i would pin my hopes on mark miadovnik was testing the smart e-bike and thanks to smart for providing the machine for testing so much for testing e-bikes on the streets of london how about the hills of the black mountains well the Abergavenny Cycle Group, of which I'm a proud member, owns an e-bike. It was bought by the group a few years ago with a grant. The e-bike is available for local people to borrow for a nominal hire fee just to get an idea of what it's like to ride one for a few days. The hope is that people will see that many of the journeys that they currently make by car could just as easily, and much more cheaply and pleasantly, be made on an e-bike. To put it to the test... Helwyn Hudson agreed to report on her experience of a week with the bike. Before she took the bike away, I asked her to describe her daily commute. Well, I live in Abergavenny and I cycle about five miles to Llanbethrim, which is towards Skenfrith, and it's a big hill there and then a big hill on the way back as well. So I arrive at work pretty tired and the slog getting home is quite hard. I also have to get my son to the nursery in the morning and I can't quite fit in getting him to the nursery and getting to work and back on a bike. So how many days would you say that you normally ride your your pedal bicycle? Well I work three days a week and usually I'll go in at least once a week on the bike. Um, You know if I've got a meeting elsewhere then I usually don't take it because I'm going to have to get to say Merthyr or Cardiff or somewhere a bit further. And so how long does it take? At the moment, 25 minutes, and that is my record. Um, it started off at 35, and then it got a lot quicker. So what people say about e-bikes is either you can do that journey much quicker or you can arrive much less sweaty. That's kind of the way it works. <laughs> yeah, we're quite lucky at work because uh, Nick, our boss, uh, has put in a really great shower, and he's really encouraging of all of us cycling to work. I'm about the only person who cycles to work. There's one other person. Um, and it is, it's great to have a shower there, but I'd much prefer to have one at home and then turn up a little bit less sweaty so you're going to probably be maintaining that 25 minute journey time but arriving fresh as a daisy hopefully (laughs) a week later i asked her how she got on it was actually really good. I've used it quite a lot. I've, I've really tested it to the limit, actually, and I've, I've gone on some really hilly rides on it just to see what it could do. And the hills are just a completely different thing altogether. You actually look at them and think positively rather than thinking, oh, no, I've got to get to the top of that. It is absolutely brilliant on hills. There's no doubt about it. But I'm not totally convinced that it's very fast on the downhill and it is a really heavy bike. So if the electricity cuts out you're pretty stuck I think. Did it cut out or did did you have to recharge it during the week? Yeah I did recharge it um, once and it was fine it was actually fine but you have you see the little dial on it and you 
you get a little bit scared when you're cycling up the hills that it is going to cut out. You're going to be stuck with a very heavy bike that you can't actually get up a hill. So I did, my first cycle was in fear. And do you happening. think that you cycled more this week? Obviously, it's been good weather as well, but do you think you cycled more than you would have on your push bike? I cycled twice to work, which is probably more than I would normally. And yeah, it was a lot easier and I didn't arrive at work quite as sweaty as I would have done before. So yeah, prob- I probably did use it more actually. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I think I did. And so do you think you'd ever get an e-bike for yourself? No, what I'd, what it made, what it convinced me that I didn't need an e-bike because I, I can go up the hills and I do quite like hills, but I love going fast downhill. So I've bought a, a road bike instead so I can go really fast. <laughs> Well, I don't think that was the intended outcome, but um, it's an interesting data point. Um, I mean, clearly this thing is, is going to be useful for people, maybe someone who's a bit older or not quite so fit as you are, who, who might feel that the hills around here are just too much. There's a few things that this would be really useful for. I think if you were living in a city, but you had quite a long commute and you didn't want to arrive sweaty, this would be perfect for that. I also think that if you were a bit scared of hills or hadn't cycled for a while, weren't quite as fit, it would be perfect. And I didn't try it in wet weather. And I think, you know, when it comes to wet weather, I'm going to be really put off because I don't really want to be covered in waterproofs in the in the rain and, and getting sweaty and hot and, you know, doing strenuous cycle rides. So maybe it would have been different. If it had rained this week, I could have had a real good test of it. That was Helwyn Hudson riding Abergavenny Cycle Group's e-bike. And maybe not the result you expected from the trial, but it just goes to show. Now, as you'd probably expect, it's the utility side of cycling, getting to work, to the shops, moving heavy loads that are the biggest growth areas for e-bikes. But in the last year or two, we've started to see leisure bikes with electric assist. The Italian-Chinese company Benelli have a new road racing e-bike out this autumn, but the biggest buzz is among mountain bikes, where an electric motor offers the temptation of built-in uplift. A few months ago, I spoke with Colin Williams of the Austrian company KTM, who sell a full range of bikes, including an electric assist mountain bike. So this is a 29er hardtail mountain bike, rock sock suspension, your standard Shimano build. So it's a brand name that everyone's heard of, but it's a KTM frame with a Bosch crank driven system in it. So it's 225% assist. What it means in practice is you can ride this bike to work every day without turning up in a big sweaty mess. Or you can ride to work at the same effort you would do normally and turn up in a big sweaty mess but get there half an hour each way faster so you've got more of your life to do the things you want to do. And when you finish in the evening and your mates are going for a ride, you can jump on your normal bike and go for a ride because you're still fresh. So you wouldn't say this is for riding on trails and things oh, like that? Yeah. yeah, you totally can do. It makes riding uphill like riding downhill. <laughs> really? So you're hopping off the routes and you're jumping up stuff. It, honestly, it's, it's trying to get people to realise that it's not... Um, cheating any more than driving to work is going faster than walking to work it's the same thing you're going out for a ride you're just meaning you can have more fun or you can do it differently it's just a different thing so yeah it's it's not motocross or riding enduro so you're not damaging the trails or doing anything bad it just means if you've got half an hour to go for a ride because you've got to get back for your kids or you're going to shop whatever it is you've got to do you can go further on this and have as much fun without plodding up the fire road for the first hour of the climb to enjoy the downhill you'll get a bit faster so even with the weight penalty because there must be a weight penalty with that motor on it and the battery you're still gonna go faster than on a, on a normal yes. bike it's considerably faster uphills i mean this one with the Bosch system is 225 percent assist so it's like having two and a half people pushing you the panasonic one we do is 400 percent assist so it's like riding with a tailwind up to the, the cutoff points of the speed limits that are legally allowed 
So on the downhills, yeah, it's a 20 kilogram bike, so it's heavier than a normal bike. But compared to the downhill bikes that I've raced on, that's still quite light. So it means you can spin up the climb and then still enjoy the downhills. And with the 29er wheels, it still rolls pretty well. We do full suspension ones as well, so there's a lot of options to have some really good fun off-road. So do you think that's going to be a growth area, these um, sporty e-bikes? Yeah, definitely. It's something that um, a large part of the cycle market in the UK, particularly the people who work in the industry and the people who are in the shops, the people who work in the shops, are all sport and hobby cyclists. So when you talk about e-bikes, they think it's cheating because they want to go for riding a normal bike, which is totally fine. But that's why the market has been sort of curtailed slightly in the UK because it's taken e-bike specialist shops to be established around the UK now, which exist, to sell these types of bikes to the market that's there because people do want to buy them and it's not just i want to be able to get to work without having to worry about paying for the train or parking and stuff it's actually i want to go for a ride and i i can't ride me enduro motorbike anymore because of the the laws and the woods and that sort of stuff it's just too much trouble and i can't bother to clean it this means that even though i'm like i haven't got the energy or i haven't got the fitness or i haven't got whatever reason it is you can still go for a really good mountain bike ride and come back and clean it put it back in your garage and go the technology's improved so much over the last five years that what five years ago couldn't have coped with being out in the rain and would have broken. Now with Bosch and Panasonic and people making quality systems, the reliability means that shops can sell them and they won't spend more time in the workshop than they do on the trail. So it's now a quality system. Do you think there's a danger that people might think, hmm, these are actually closer to mopeds and they need to be regulated as such? Because that is a debate, isn't it, with e-bikes up to a certain power level. And if you imagine you're out walking and you get terrorised by a mountain biker, that happens. There are inconsiderate people. Presumably when you've got this motor on, you can be a lot more inconsiderate if that's your, if that's your style. There is a legal limit of 250 watts of what is allowed on the UK roads to be ridden anywhere. Whether it's as like an unpowered vehicle, essentially. Yeah, yeah, if you go over 250 watts, then it does become a motorbike. And there are companies that do sell those illegal bikes to people and people do ride them. Now... It's the same as everything else. You're going to get people in any circumstance who are going to be causing trouble. What these do with this 250-watt support is it supports you up to about 15 to 18-ish miles an hour on the road. Once you get past that, you're just riding a normal bike. In fact, a heavy normal bike. So you can go as fast as you could do on a normal bike, particularly what's in off-road and the conflict with walkers and things. It's not going to push you past 15 to 18 miles an hour. So on a downhill, you could do that anyway. On the uphill, you'll just be riding at the speed you would have gone downhill. So it's not going to make you any more antisocial, unless you really want to be, in which case, having a bit of assist, it just makes you seem like a fitter rider. And so by the same token, if the main advantage for the mountain bikers is on the uphill parts of their, their routes, are we going to see road cyclists having e-road bikes? Is that is that an area where you think it might go? It seems hard to think about because mountain biking is all about getting up the hill so you can go down it road biking a lot of the challenge is in the hill itself and you go down the hill just to get to the foot of the next climb if you had your motor taking you up the climb so that's going to take some of the uh, pleasure out of it right i'd agree i think from our point of view as a brand and me personally i've been ridden a lot of e-bikes now just because i work with them the benefit off-road is that it's just more fun you get to go further do more all those kind of things or the benefit is commuting because you get to work fitter faster or fresher without the costs on a road bike I think if you were to strap a 10 kilo battery to a normal road race bike with the skinny tyres and the light weight, you'd lose all the fun of riding a road bike and you'd probably puncture every time you hit a small hole in the road. So I don't think you'd ever see motors on a traditional road race bike because as well, the legal limit of cutoff, you can spin up, like if you're a reasonably fit cyclist, 
you can do that on a road bike anyway. So these are benefit people who are you want to ride a more comfortable bike or want to commute further on a more regular basis. And because you can use a mountain bike, it doesn't matter that the rolling resistance is higher because of the knobbly tires. I commute uh, 16 miles each way over the Pennines from Huddersfield to Manchester. And I've done it uh, on a road race bike for the whole winter. And I know that it'll take me between 45 and 50 minutes and my average heart rate will be about 150 beats a minute. If I do it on the mountain bike, on the e-bike mountain bike, and I go at the same heart rate, I'm 10 minutes faster each way. So for me, that means I've saved 20 minutes a day of my life. And it's over a week, it's what? It's like, it's a good few hours a month. You know? I mean, it builds up pretty fast. I get more time to do other stuff than commuting. I'm still burning exactly the same because I'm the same heart rate. I'm just doing it in a short amount of time. Or if I aim for the same amount of time, so I still aim for the 45, 50 minutes, my heart rate doesn't go up about 110. So it means I get to work, I'm totally fresh. That was Colin Williams of KTM. And he brings us to the end of this look at e-bike technology and to the end of this edition of The Bike Show. I'm sure it's a subject that we are going to return to. It is not an uncontroversial subject and I am aware that we've presented very much the positive side of e-bikes on the show this week. But to be honest, I see very little but positive sides to e-bikes. But if you have an alternative view, let me hear it. You can uh, comment on the website www.thebikeshow.net or send in an email to bikeshow at resonancefm.com Please do remember to record your accounts of near misses. Full details are on the Bike Show website and also the website of the Near Miss Project. You can Google that. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Hey.